listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Hi, everyone. I'm PPI's Director of Healthcare, Ariel Kane. And today I have the new Democrat Coalition Vice Chair for Outreach, Congressman Ami Barra, on to discuss all things healthcare. Congressman Barra represents California's 7th District, which is the suburbs of San Francisco. Oh, excuse me. Let me say that again. Um, suburbs of Sacramento and is a practicing physician. Welcome to the PPI podcast. We're so excited to have you here today. You're welcome and glad, glad to be on. And we think of San Francisco as Sacramento suburbs, by the way. <laughs> I like that. I've driven, I'm from Oregon and I've driven um, all the way down I-5 from the Portland area to Santa Barbara. So I have driven through that region multiple times. Um, and we obviously, we have plenty of healthcare topics to talk about today. But first, I was wondering if you could give our listeners a bit of insight into your experience as a lawmaker and a physician. You're in a very small club of lawmakers because only fewer than 10% of members of Congress have experience as a practicing physician. And what's it like being a doctor in Congress and have your colleagues turn to you for your expertise during this pandemic? You know, certainly. And, and, and I, I think, you know, both myself as well as the other um, doctors in, in, in Congress lend a, you know, a unique perspective or certainly around the pandemic and, you know, being a senior member on the Foreign Affairs Committee, global health security was one of the areas that I'd made uh, um, a priority. So, you know, in a nonpartisan way, I think we've been able to help guide our colleagues both through legislation, but answer questions. You know, those of us with an academic background, you know, when you know folks are thinking about um, phase one, phase two trials and things like that in clinical trials, that's not normally what members of Congress talk about, but now you see that in the vernacular of, of a lot of folks and contact tracing and et cetera. So I, I think we've been a, in a unique role, not just to guide members of Congress in how to think about addressing the health care challenges we faced this last 12 months, but also going on television, you know, speaking directly to the public in, in that role as doctor and congressman. Yeah, there's no question that, you know, being in the midst of the largest pandemic of the last century, health policy has been a top focus, both of Congress and of the new Biden administration. Um, can you talk a little bit about the American Rescue Act that Congress just approved and what it does to help the United States bounce back from the pandemic? No, ab absolutely. The American Rescue Plan is a huge piece of legislation that you know, really we've been working on going back to, to last May when the House passed the HEROES Act. And you see a lot of those elements in the American Rescue Plan. I wish we had passed it back in May, but I am glad that President Biden made it a priority. It's not only gonna first help make sure we get vaccines in shots into people's arms, you know, that you, you've already noticed in the you know, couple of weeks after we passed the American Rescue Plan, you're going from 1 million shots in, in a day to 2 million to 3 million. And I, I really think we'll be at 4 million within a, a couple of weeks. And that is really a race against these variants that we're starting to see. You're, you're seeing 
um, the, the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, starting to, to, to see these other varieties like the British or, or, or South um, African variant. If we can get people vaccinated, we have right now three really good vaccines that you know, are all safe. They're very effective at you know, preventing serious illness and, and super effective at keeping people out of the hospital and, and, and certainly not you know, preventing death, which ultimately is what we wanna do. So it's a race to get vaccines into arms. That's in the American Rescue Plan, but it's also then to go into some of those harder to reach communities or communities where you may have some vaccine hesitancy to make sure people understand that these are safe and effective and they should get their vaccine. And then more broadly, if we're smart about how we use these resources, we'll build the public health infrastructure that not only helps us beat COVID-19, but also starts to build a framework for us to address future pandemics, but also other ongoing um, public health issues that, that are already out there. Lastly, something the New Democrat Coalition had really worked on was this approach of stabilizing the Affordable Care Act but then also expanding coverage and you know, taking incremental steps to get towards universal coverage. You know, that's been foundation to the New Democrat approach to getting universal coverage. And a lot of those ideas are in the Amer American Rescue Plan. So we're happy about that. And just circling back to what you said on um, the vaccination efforts, you know, how do we you know, what can we do from both a policy perspective and you know, from maybe a communications perspective to reach those both who are maybe more hesitant or also just hard to reach areas, um, you know, underserved communities, you know, what can we do to make sure that everyone gets vaccinated so that we can finally put this pandemic behind us? So a, a few specific things that were in the American Rescue Plan is getting shots um, directly into those communities. So partnering with community health centers that often are a trusted um, source of healthcare information in harder to reach communities, working with churches and, and other nonprofits that may be trusted in some of these harder to reach communities, both to deliver the vaccine, but also if there is some hesitancy because of historical issues, you know, if they're trusted organizations, they may um, take the information from an organization that's homegrown as opposed to from me as a member of Congress who may not be from, from that community. So. I, I think it's partnering with those communities. It's making sure the message is delivered from trusted sources in those communities. And, and again, often that's clergy. And, and then it's making sure it's convenient for folks so they don't have to travel 25 miles, but they could go to their own personal physician or community clinic or pharmacy. And the pharmacy component of, of the program really is working very well, because I think a lot of patients in these communities are, are used to going to their pharmacist and you know, um, getting care. And you know, this is just another way and another venue where they can get that vaccination. And then, you know, you mentioned the UK and the South African variants, which obviously right now we're in a race against the clock trying to get enough people vaccinated that we can curb the spread of those variants. But do you have any opinions or any policy ideas around how the United States should be supporting global vaccination efforts? Um, and, you know, we've learned, obviously, the hard way that um, viruses don't observe borders. And until we sort of address this pandemic on the global level, you know, we won't be safe here either. No, ab absolutely. And, you know, what, what people are calling vaccine diplomacy, I would just call good, smart um, public and global health care. Because the, the truth is, we don't defeat this virus 
until we vaccinate everyone or at least get to herd immunity at a global level. Because right now we've been lucky with the variants that we're seeing and there's the Brazil variant and others that the current vaccines we have, again, are very safe and effective against these, these variants, all three of them. Um, but we don't know if a new variant's gonna emerge that you know, is somewhat resistant to the vaccines that we have. And that's why there's this race against the fox. So yes, we've got to vaccinate our domestic population, but the United States now has contracts for you know, over a billion um, doses of vaccine. We don't have a billion people in the United States. So we now have to start working with other countries to get that vaccine out there. I'm also heartened that we're working with um, our, our friends and, and like-minded um, allies in, in Asia, you know, Japan, Australia, India, to ramp up vaccine production in Asia um, to then you know, get that vaccine out to um, Southeast Asia and other Asian countries. Yeah, that's, I think that'll be a really important piece and that's you know, just coming down the pipe shortly. And so while this pandemic is obviously, you know, President Biden's top priority, there are many other health, issue, uh, health policy issues that the new administration and Congress uh, must address in order to improve healthcare delivery in the United States. Um, just last week, I was reading, there was a Gallup poll that found 20% of Americans reported that they couldn't afford medical care today if they needed it. And obviously many of those people are insured. So what else is Congress working on that would improve access and affordability of care? So um, you talked about the two major components if we're going to address the, the healthcare challenges in America, access and affordability. So on the access front, some of the, the ACA expansion that is in the American Rescue Plan, some of the Medicaid expansion that's in there, and you're starting to hear what previously had been some hesitancy from Republican governors to expand Medicaid, you know, some of those state legislatures now are thinking about taking these resources from the federal government. So that gets us close to universal coverage, um, the expanded subsidies for the ACA as well, expanded coverage, not all the way there, but that addresses a big part of the access issue. Now we've got to address the cost issue because it doesn't do us any good if you give someone health insurance coverage, but they can't afford to use it. So you know, that one is, you know, I think there's a number of ways to, to approach it. One, we do think if you bring more people into the healthcare risk pool, it'll have an effect of bringing costs down. But you're also seeing folks talk about caps on you know, what patients uh, will pay. Pharmaceutical costs are, are, are a big driver here. So are there things that we can do, you know, whether your reference pricing um, with, with pharmaceuticals abroad, or you're looking at the generic space to, to really disrupt and bring down the cost of generic medications. And, and lastly, I think where the, the, the real issue is, is you know, for 80% of the public, you know, they're relatively healthy. They see health insurance as you know, periodically they'll go to the doctor, um, but they're not regular users. But there's 20% that have chronic illness and, and so forth. We've got to do a better job providing services and managing the health of those 20% with chronic conditions to um, both better manage their disease, but also to prevent some of those conditions. And I think if we're able to do some of that, and that's something that the New Democrat Coalition you know, has worked on through, through various venues, we can start to bend that cost curve down. I, I think that that issue, you know, is incredibly important. And I think 
you know, while we obviously knew about health disparities, the pandemic has just really laid them bare. And, you know, it, can you talk about, or, you know, do you have ideas around how we can invest in health beyond the healthcare system? Absolutely. And again, I think you see some of that in the American Rescue Plan. You know, the, the fact that, you know, we've always known healthcare inequities have existed. Um, that's just come to the forefront with the pandemic. The communities that have been hit hardest you know, have higher incidence of chronic illness, they have less access to healthcare, they have, um, you know, higher rates of, of, of uninsurance, and, and they've been impacted the hardest by COVID 19. President Biden has, um, you know, really infused equity into everything that, you know, he's thinking about when it comes to healthcare. You know, he's created a whole healthcare equity task force. Um, and this is an area where we're working closely with the Biden administration, one, to defeat COVID-19, so getting resources to community health centers. But as we build that public health workforce, uh, contact tracers, uh, as the president says, vaccinators and, and others, let's pool resources from those communities. So you know, let's look for talent in these communities. Let's you know, create that workforce that is of these communities so that there is better access and better care that's culturally specific and culturally sensitive as well as language sensitive. And you know, in this next bill, the Jobs and Recovery Act that you know, President Biden has talked about is you know, spending $400 billion creating a healthcare workforce that can you know, assist folks where they are, you know, in their homes and, and, and elsewhere. I actually think that is a, a, a great idea. You know, it's a, he's thinking big here, but it really does set us up for how healthcare will be delivered in the future. And when you think about you know, meeting people where they are, we know that rural communities are often underserved in a lot of ways. There are fewer OBGYNs, fewer therapists, fewer dentists, uh, more people without broadband internet, et cetera. And, you know, obviously vibrant rural communities need access to appropriate healthcare in order to survive. And so how do we, or how can we do a better job of supporting providers who practice in rural areas? You mentioned doing a better job of recruiting, you know, per, maybe more providers from the communities. They're more likely to go back and serve those areas. But are there other things that we can do to support providers who practice in rural areas? Absolutely. You touched on one of the things. We know that broadband access is um, harder in some of these rural communities or they don't have it. So again, part of an infrastructure bill really does have to include um, rural broadband and broadband to less resource communities. Especially we've seen with the pandemic, things like telehealth, telemedicine you know, have really been um, impactful in helping us care for patients who may not have wanted to leave their home, you know, rightfully so in the middle of the pandemic. Um, that's something that we should keep in place, but you can't do telemedicine or telehealth if you don't have broadband access, it's, or it's very hard to do. So let's get that access out to those communities, you know, and it'll help us solve some of the issues of lack of specialty care. You know, if you're in a small rural community and you don't have a, a, a dermatologist or gastroenterologist or a certain specialty, you still may be able to have that televisit, you know, with that, that specialist that, that's in the bigger city. So that's one component of it. The second piece is, you know, when you look at how health plans bid on lives and, and where they're predominant, you know, you know, covering lives in big urban centers like Sacramento or San Francisco, 
um, are very profitable for health plans. It's harder for them to, to, to turn that profit in the rural communities. And a lot of us have talked about how, you know, if you want the urban center, you also have to cover the, the rural community as well. So especially as you've seen market consolidation, that's an idea that, that, that we've thought about. So if you want Sacramento, you've got to cover rural Northern California. If you want San Francisco, you've got to cover Central California where there, there are fewer doctors. Um, and I think that's an idea that has some merit that, that we should be thinking about. I love that idea. Um, you know, I, my mom is a healthcare provider in a rural area and I know that, you know, they, she fights with insurers a lot. Um, but finally, if you could wave a magic wand and change some piece or some part of the U S healthcare system, what would you change and how would you envision the system operating? So if I had one magic wand, I think the thing that I would change is right now, a lot of the healthcare system still is um, a for-profit system. What I mean by that is the more you do, the more you make. And so the, the incentive is to do more. And I think the incentive really is to, should be, how do we keep people healthy? So if you made cost, a, a fixed cost item, but made the variable um, outcomes and quality, um, I think you would shift the paradigm. So now the emphasis is not to do more, but to do better, to care for people better, to keep them healthier. And then I think you'd see the resources shift from building more hospital beds to building more preventive care services, to making sure that person gets their annual cancer screening or that their cholesterol is checked or their diabetes is well managed. Right now, if that diabetic you know, has a bad outcome and ends up in the, the, the hospital, the system still gets paid. Um, it probably gets paid more. I'd actually prefer that they get paid more if they manage that diabetes better and keep the patient out of the hospital or prevent that cancer or diagnose that cancer at an earlier stage. And so it's shifting from, you know, kind of the future service system to one that's, you know, compensated on quality and outcomes. So, I said that was my last question, but I kind of want to build off what you just said. Um, would you be interested in more states pursuing a model like Maryland, where, where they have a, a capitated um, budget for the whole state, or or do you mean at a you know a smaller level, like a more like a Kaiser or a Geisinger model, where you know obviously the incentives are more aligned to um, a value based delivery model? So a little bit about so. Uh... You know, I certainly, you know, if you look at the Kaiser model, I think the advantage Kaiser has is it's fully integrated. So it's the health plan, the hospital, and the provider. So all of their incentives are in alignment. So, you know, where if it makes sense to keep a patient in the hospital for a couple more days because they'll have a better outcome, they'll make that decision because they own the whole healthcare pie versus if it makes sense to send them out in 24 hours, but then have a, a nurse go visit them at home and have them rehab at home. They'll make that decision again because they have the whole healthcare pie. So I think if you could move towards integration like that, and and then I'm from Northern California, so we've always operated with a lot of capitated patients. I think most providers uh, and hospital systems are willing to take on more risk, um, and and I'm a big believer in capitating payments and saying to the to the doctors to the hospitals you figure out the most efficient way to, to care for those patients. And I think if you could marry integration with kind of a values-based um, managed competition, capitated system, I actually think you could accomplish some good things, get better outcomes and uh, higher quality care. 
I agree. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for your time and insights into, you know, Congress's healthcare priorities. We really appreciate it. And hopefully we can check back in in a couple months and see, you know, see what's happening and what's changing, you know, maybe once we're on the other side of this pandemic. Great. Looking forward to it. And thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.